Hi, I'm Gavin Giovanoni, Professor of Neurology at Bart and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry. And today I'm talking to you about the very good news that the FDA has granted the plasma neurofilament assay a breakthrough device designation, which means it will now be hopefully fast-tracked through a regulatory approval process and may become um, a standard test in the management of multiple sclerosis. Um, there are some caveats and this is one of the reasons why I'm doing this uh, newsletter. Now you probably have heard the term of treat to target uh, and in MS we uh, uh, typically at the moment treat to target of no inflammatory disease activity. In other words we want all our patients to be free of relapses and new lesions on MRI scan and that's what we do in clinical practice. Going further and trying to prevent worsening disability is a little bit more complicated because the process underlying disability progression or worsening disability is not just about inflammation. There are other processes that need to be targeted and, and that's what I refer smoldering multiple sclerosis and I've addressed that in several other uh, MSL for newsletters in the past. So please search online uh, and read those if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast uh, or haven't come across the MSLFIE um, newsletters before. Now we actually stole the term treat the target. Well, we didn't steal it, but we adopted it from the rheumatologists where they've been using this now for 20 years or more to manage people with rheumatoid arthritis. Now the advantage of the rheumatologists is that they have a very good biomarker uh, which we call the C-reactive protein or CRP, which is a marker of inflammation that you can measure in peripheral blood. And they incorporate this into their treatment target. Um, in other words, they want to suppress the CRP as much as possible. In addition to the C-reactive protein, which is a biomarker that you measure in blood, they also have a patient-related outcome measure, which they include in the so-called disease activity uh, score or the DAS score, DAS score. And because they've got this blood marker and this patient-rated outcome measure, people with rheumatoid arthritis are much more engaged in the management of their disease. They understand their disease a lot more than I think the average person with multiple sclerosis understands. And I think that's simply because of engagement. Uh, people with rheumatoid arthritis are forced to engage with the treatment target because they have a blood test taken when they come and see the rheumatologists and they have to fill in a questionnaire to see how their joints are. And because of that, they're much more proactive uh, in demanding uh, more effective therapies and getting their disease under control. And it's pretty clear now that rheumatologists like to flatten, in other words, keep the area under the so-called C-reactive protein curve over time. In other words, you measure it serially, you know, every six months and you get this curve. They want to keep that as low as possible because the area under that curve is associated with a prognosis. The lower or well, the smaller the area, the better the outcome, the more likely you are to have healthy joints when you get older. So it's in everybody's interest to keep that um, area under the curve as low as possible. Now, the good news is that we may be getting a C-reactive protein uh, for MS, and uh, we call this neurofilament levels. Um, we've been using neurofilament levels uh, in our clinical practice for you know over five years at our center. Not blood ones, but we've been using spinal fluid ones. It requires a lumbar puncture to measure. But even when you get the spinal fluid neurofilament level, 
and it's raised, it really does change the way we approach uh, MS. And the idea is to try and uh, reduce that to as lower, lower levels uh, as normal. Now, the good news is there's been a assay developed by Quanterix is the company, uh, and it's on a platform called the Samoa platform, which we have, and we've just had to upgrade our machine to a new generation one, where we can measure neurofilaments in the peripheral blood. And the company has just put forward a, an application to the FDA, and they have been granted so-called breakthrough device designation um, for the uh, plasma neurofilament level uh, as a marker of disease activity in people with relapsing remitting MS. It's actually quite narrow, this designation. It's not talking about people with progressive or smoldering MS. This doesn't mean to say it will be approved. All this means that it will be given more rapid uh, review process uh, and hopefully the idea would be if the FDA are happy with all the data, uh, people with multiple sclerosis will have access to this uh, technology uh, sooner. Um, now, I just want to point out that neurofilament levels are the scaffolding proteins inside nerve fibers. So what keeps those axons, those nerve fibers stable, uh, and their size are these scaffolding inside them. It's like, you know, it's like concrete with, re they've got metal bars in them to reinforce it. The neuronal processes have neurofilament filaments which keep them sturdy and also dictate the size of the axon. And when you have inflammation and you damage the nerve fibers and you cut these axons, you release their contents and the amount of neurofilament released uh, is proportional to the amount of damage. So it actually is a very good marker uh, of how much damage has occurred in the last, we think in the last few hours to days. We don't know how long the protein, the neurofilament protein circulates in the peripheral blood, but it probably indicates what's happened in the last few hours to um, days. And the reason why we know that is people who have head injuries, when they come into accident emergency or they've had a head injury on a sports field, you know, literally within 30 to 60 minutes, neurofilament levels are raised. So we do know that it's actually measuring damage now. What is interesting in, from work done previously in uh, Sweden, uh, in people who had relapses, when you actually do serial lumbar punctures, the neurofilament levels from a relapse remain elevated for about three months after that relapse. So they don't just come and go very quickly, they remain elevated for quite a while. And we think the reason for that is, is because the nerve fibers that have been damaged take a long time to die off. There's a thing called Wallerian degeneration. When you cut a nerve fiber, it takes you know weeks to months for that nerve fiber to degenerate and release its contents. And that's why the, the biomarkers remains elevated for a period of time. When you do measure neurofilament levels and you find them raised, they tell you that there's obviously ongoing damage at that point in time, but people with the highest level have the worst prognosis, they're going to do worse in the future. So it is a prognostic marker. It also responds to treatments. So the more effective therapy you're on, the lower your neurofilament levels. And there's a beautiful paper that came out from the Swiss group, the University of Basel, um, earlier this year, showing you just the hierarchy uh, of effectiveness of treatments based on average neurofilament levels in the peripheral blood. And clearly, uh, people who were untreated had the highest levels, then so-called so people on platform or injectable therapies, followed by the orals, uh, and then followed by the monoclonal, the more effective monoclonal antibodies. 
So the, this data tells you that, you know, on average, if you want to do best, you really do need to be on the most effective therapies. And so this data also supports this concept of flipping the pyramid. In other words, going to the highest, the most effective therapies, uh, first line or as soon as possible to flatten your neurofilament levels. So, you know, I envisage a future where um, people with multiple sclerosis will want their neurofilament levels measured, you know, possibly every three or six months, and they'll want to keep those levels as low as possible. And if their levels jump, uh, it'll be an indication of potentially a relapse or whatever else may be going on. Uh, I say something else going on because other conditions can raise neurofilament levels. It's not specific to MS. So in other words, if you have a stroke, a head injury, or develop another condition, you know, a dementing condition, for example, you know, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, motor neurone disease, all those other conditions also put up neurofilament levels. So if you develop a second, second uh, disease, uh, the neurofilament levels can go up because of that. So it's a not it's not a really a specific marker. It's just a biomarker of neuronal, uh, axonal, synaptic damage. And so you have to interpret the neurofilament level in the context of what's happening to that individual person. And obviously, if you have MS, you know we interpret that as being an MS-related phenomenon. But you've got to keep an open mind and just ask the question: Is anything else going on raising this level uh, that's not related to? Uh, multiple sclerosis. So to give an example, if somebody who's got MS also has type 1 or type 2 diabetes, which we know causes peripheral nerve damage because of the poor glucose control, that could cause uh, vascular disease and you could get strokes, for example, or small vessel disease. Obviously, you have to interpret that neurofilament level in that particular individual um, in relation to whether or not they have another disease process uh, going on. And the other thing that we don't really have is a PROM, a patient-rated outcome measure in our treatment target. And there's a big debate going on about which is the most appropriate PROMs to measure in clinical practice. And the problem I have is when you put the experts who do work on uh, or develop PROMs in a room, they've all got a different opinion and they all want their favorite one, usually the one that they've developed or been involved in developing. And so there isn't a standardized single PROM or panel of patient-rated outcomes that we can put into clinical practice and treat the target. And also, we, we don't know how responsive these are to our treatments, you know, at least with the rheumatology DAS score, the disease activity score. And we do know that that PROM that they use with rheumatology, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, is responsive to treatment. Saying this, though, um, I am involved in a uh, initiative called the Patient Reported Outcomes for Multiple Sclerosis Initiative. And this is an initiative that has been uh, launched several years ago by the European Charcoal Foundation. And it's also been done by the Multiple Sclerosis International Federation. And the Italian Multiple Sclerosis Society is actually the lead agency driving this forward. Um, prior to my accident, I was heavily involved. Uh, actually, uh, I was actually a co-leader of one of the work groups. I had to pull back from that after my, during my accident, after my accident. Uh, but I am still involved with the initiative, and hopefully we will be able to define a PROM or a panel of PROMs that is accepted by multiple stakeholders, not only people with the disease, or healthcare professionals, but by the regulators, 
uh, in healthcare systems, for example. So we will have uh, the equivalent of the DAS score for, for, for MS, and that will be another part of the treatment target uh, in multiple sclerosis. In other words, to improve the, the patient-rated outcome measure as best, as best we can. So I think this is really exciting. Um, the fact that a regulator is taking your filament level seriously, we'll have PROMs. Uh, in addition to our relapse and MRI uh, monitoring, we're moving forward and I can see us getting to a stage where we're clearly going to go beyond uh, no evident inflammatory disease activity. And uh, we will start to uh, want to optimize the management of MS by suppressing neurofilament levels, improving patient-related outcomes, slowing or normalizing brain volume loss, um, stopping the retinal nerve fiber layer from thinning, et cetera, et cetera. So this will become a moving target as we try and, and become more aggressive in how we manage uh, multiple sclerosis. And clearly, you know, the treatment goal is to take somebody with MS and to get them to old age with as healthy brain as possible. So this is to maximize the lifelong brain health. And I think to do that, we're going to have to be much more aggressive uh, with our treatment targets. Because at the moment, simply rendering somebody free of inflammatory disease activity misses the uh, obvious elephant in the room, the real MS, smoldering pathology, and that's going to require combination therapies uh, as well as a, uh, a, more, uh, a more aggressive focus on uh, brain health. So I'll leave it at that. Read the uh, papers. The, I've got links on the on the in the newsletter to both paper one and paper two for you. Um, you may find the paper one and the paper two a little bit difficult to understand, but don't worry. Ask questions if you have any, and uh, share this uh, podcast and newsletter if you find it helpful. And then finally, I just urge you, if you can afford to, please uh, sign up to um, a regular subscription. Um, I'm gradually edging up in terms of how much uh, income we're making from from the MSLF initiative that we will use for uh, future um, uh, to run our MSLF website. Take care. Bye bye.